0: Hello and welcome to the good old days of Radio show. This is John Tufteller, your host. Uh, we are on episode number nine as the Beatles say number nine. We only have <laughs> <laughs> we only have one more to go for this series. It'll be number 10, number 10. Uh, but we're on number nine for now and um, it's a tribute to the great radio sh- series Escape. Um, which CBS uh, sustained for many years with just a brief round of sponsorship by Richfield Oil, as we heard a couple episodes ago. This show was very, very well done on all aspects. As I've said, I don't know a lot of these because I didn't hear them, but I'm hearing them now. And we have our special guest, Keith Scott from Australia, who is a big fan of this show and done a lot of research and knows a lot about all the actors and all the, the things behind the scenes on this show. And so Keith joins us again today for one called Conquest. Now, I again, I've not heard this. Boy, you got me there. I'm ready. So Keith, <laughs> Keith what do you say about this one?
1: Well, uh, John, this is a... Uh, I think this was when Norman MacDonald had... Um, again taken over from bill robeson right at the beginning of the end of 50 and the beginning of 51 bill robeson had gone to paris um to do a series with maurice chevalier called this is paris and uh, so the here is his his understudy from three years before norman Macdonald, who had become a very talented director of this exact type of uh high adventure radio <clears throat> programming and at the um He had just finished two years of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and uh, one season as the studio director of Suspense. And here he is doing this this show, which was based on a, I think I suppose it's a 1935 short story by a writer from New York called Leonard Lee, based on many of the uh, previous attempts to conquer Mount Everest. What's really interesting is that this show is aired on the 7th of January 1951 and it's almost um, prescient it's it's like he's predicting the future because it was two years later that uh, Everest was finally conquered by Sir Edmund Hillary so it's um uh, it's uh, quite amazing um uh, that uh, he did the the author of this short story did some research and it's been well adapted for for escape where some of the previous expeditions that were unsuccessful to conquer Mount Everest are, are mentioned. And uh, there was uh, one climber uh, in one of the British expeditions that failed called George Lee, L-E-I-G-H, Mallory. And uh, he there is a character in this uh, episode called Mallory. So he's using a little bit of real life as well as uh, fiction. And at one point, one of the characters... Uh, calls him lee mallory as if it's like a, a hyphenated double name william conrad who we heard a couple of weeks back in poison plays here an entirely different type of role as the uh the determined explorer in fact you could say he's almost too driven like all of these guys who who tried to conquer everest and even sir edmund hillary who did conquer it uh described himself jokingly as a as a, a driven madman because uh, it it becomes such an obsession with these people of course and uh, there's uh, the usual um, feeling on escape that when you're um, combining it with some of the windy sound effects and all of that you can actually see pictures in your mind of this little expedition trying to climb the mountain and uh, it's again uh, i chose this one because of that quality and also because again it's uh, it's william conrad in a totally different type of role um uh, as the uh the lead of the uh the party who wants to obsessively conquer this mountain that hasn't in fact i think there'd been 17 failed expeditions uh, before hillary was successful and as i say this was written before anyone truly had conquered it so uh, it really does look to two years away where where it actually finally happened for them so there's a bit of that that uh, real life feel to it so again, it's just uh, one of those many examples of where escape can take you anywhere around the world and suddenly you're in the Himalayas doing this sort of a show. So, uh, it's the uh, and power the of radio. Voice.
0: Power of radio. Yep,
1: exactly. This particular season, uh, Norman MacDonald experimented for about uh, oh, half a year with, with the the actor Lou Krugman, who did a lot of stuff with spurdvac as well. And uh, he's the opening voice for these... Um, Late fifty, early fifty-one series, and then, of course, years—you know—as the years went on and escape continued, they brought back Bill Conrad and Paul Freese as the opening voice. But here it's uh, that actor Lou Krugman, who often played villains on 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 gangsters on on uh, detective shows and gun smoke and shows like that.
0: Well, with that, we shall see. <laughs> January seventh, nineteen fifty-one, conquest.
2: You. Finding life rather dull, dreaming again of exotic places, wishing you were somewhere else? We offer you Escape.
3: Escape with us now to the windswept peak of Mount Everest and the story of a man who sacrificed everything to climb it as Leonard Lee tells it in his gripping story, Conquest.
2: You want to know what it's like up there? I'll tell you. It's a constant torrent of wind and snow. It's jagged rocks iced as slick as a knife blade. No man has ever set foot on the place. It's as bleak and barren and lonely as the moon. But it's Everest. Mount Everest. And when you stand on its peak and know that every inch of the world is below you, there in the palm of your hand lies the final conquest.
1: We're
3: not going to make the mistakes Norton and Somerville made. We'll spend the first night at Camp 5 and the second night at Camp 6. That brings us to 26,800 feet.
2: Are you going to make the north face to the cool wire, Mallory?
3: No, that's what they did. We're going to make a frontal attack, direct. We'll follow the crest of the northeast ridge to the peak.
2: Yeah, that's tougher climbing.
3: The only chance, Hamilton. And we'll take oxygen on the last dash. Well,
2: best of luck, Mallory. Thanks. We watched them as they left Camp 4, 23,000 feet on the face of Everest, Mallory and Irvine stocked with their provisions, pitons, carabiners, hammers, axes, boards, snowshoes, two diminishing silhouettes against the powder snow of the wrong book glacier, finally disappearing behind a jut in the North Col. We watched them and prayed for them, and we hated them because we weren't part of that final run to the top. Two days later, June 10th, 1924, a man crawled toward us in the snow. We ran out of the tent to get him. It was Odell, our geologist from Camp 6. He could hardly speak. Chaloner, Brandy.
4: Yes, here. Here, Odell, drink this.
2: What happened? I saw them.
4: I saw the top.
2: Did they make it? I don't know. They were about 800 feet from the peak. Mallory and Irvine. At the last step. The last
4: step. Then the mist closed in.
2: It's only a matter of time. They'll make it.
4: Hamilton. No man can live up there. There's nothing to breathe.
2: And that was the last word. Somewhere in that jungle of ice, their frozen bodies lay. The peak was still unscaled. We looked out at the expanse of desolation stretched out before us. We looked out and up. The calm arrogance of the summit was wrapped in mist. From that moment on, there was only one purpose to my life to climb that mountain. I'm sorry, Hamilton. No more money. Look, Ben, I can make it. I know I can. I've been up there. I know every crevasse. I know every rock up to Camp 6. Well, what's the point? So you reached the peak. So what? The bear went over the mountain. What did he see but the other side? All right, all right. I don't expect you to understand why people climb mountains. It's a kind of insanity. Let's let it go at that. But from your viewpoint, look at the publicity. Grisham sports equipment used on the first descent of Mount Everest, the highest mountain in the world. It'll be worth a million dollars to you have a point there. The initial expense, including everything, will be about $25,000. 25, $25,000? out of the question. The best I could do would be fifteen. dollars I knew you'd say that. Uh, what? $15,000 is plenty. Well, what do you say, Chaloner? Are you with us?
4: Well, the last time it was pretty rough, but I... I'm always fool enough to try again. Fine. Uh, who have you got lined up so far?
2: Langmuir. He's pretty young, but he's got a lot of energy and a lot of experience for his age. Mm-hmm. Newt Revere, you know him. Oh. Four of us will lead. That sounds
4: pretty good. How about financing? The Mount Everest
2: committee can't supply at all, so I got most of what we need from Grisham. He makes sports equipment. It's a publicity
4: deal. I see. Well, it's March now. We ought to have our base camp established by mid-April, and then we'll have about a month of climbing before the monsoon hits. Yes, that's what I planned. We'll be leaving in about ten days. Can you be ready? Yes, I'll be ready, Hamilton.
2: And so will Everest. We arrived in Darjeeling on April 2nd. We hired Sherpa porters and Tibetan guides, bought more tents and scientific equipment, and headed toward Everest, a hundred miles away. But it was almost three times as far snaking through the gorges of the eastern Himalayas... A second night out, we camped in the sweltering swamp jungle of
4: Sicken. Uh, I can't sleep. Try a wet towel on your head. I've tried everything. Hamilton? Yes? Can you sleep?
3: No. (laughs) If you ask me, we should have taken the south slope. Gets more sun, less ice. Do you hear me, Hamilton? Yes, I heard you.
2: Well,
4: why didn't we try the South Slope?
2: Because the North Slope is explored and possible. Besides, Nepal won't grant permission.
4: Uh, Let's try to sleep. hmm?
3: Can't sleep. Too hot. Can you sleep Revere?
2: I could try if it weren't for all this talk. Hold it. There's somebody outside. Yes, who is it?
4: of Maradi. the head porter. Oh, you better tell him to come in, Hamilton. Come in. Yes, Tishbear, what is it? Not go. Not go to Chomalungma. What? Signs very bad for mountain. Death. Death, I see. What signs? Bend of the trees and the stars. No good. Not go to mountain. All
2: right, Tishbear, how much?
4: I do not understand.
2: The bend of the trees is worth how much?
4: Oh, signs are bad. $500. $500. Get back to your tent. $400. $400. A blessing from Holy Lama of Rongbu.
2: All right. But that's the last holdup. You understand? <laughs>
3: I'm sure signs will be better. Now
4: get back to your tent.
0: Oh, gladness. <laughs> gladness.
4: <laughs> There's a gurkha for you. The Sherbaz won't come around for more money in the middle of the night. Well,
2: good night, gentlemen.
3: It's too blasted
2: hot. Enjoy the heat, Langmuir. In another 48 hours, you'll wish you had every steaming bit of it. We pushed on through the Sikkim to the Tibetan Plateau. The mercury plunged to zero. The wind and snow lashed at us. We'd begun to climb. We stopped at the monastery on the wrong book for the Lama's blessing to satisfy the porters. and Moved on up the glacier. Well below now. And then in the momentary clearing of clouds, I saw it once again. Everest and the white plume flowing from its peak. We were at 16,000 feet. It was at this point we established our base camp. All right, Chaloner, tell them what we've decided.
4: All right. Camp 1 will be at 18,000. Camp 2 will be at 20. Camp 3 at 21. Camp 4 at 23. I will each carry oxygen. The tanks are light, but we'll have enough to last us for about a week if we use it right. When we get near the top, the routine will be 15 minutes of climbing, one hour's rest.
2: We're not making the mistakes Mallory did. Are there any questions? Yes. How
3: do we pair off, Hamilton?
2: Chaloner and Revere, Langmuir and myself. We'll travel together up to Camp 4, then we separate into doubles. The rest of the men will be dropped off at the camps as we move along to maintain relays. Anything
3: else? Yeah. I think we're going to make it.
2: We climbed over the icy slopes, establishing camps as we went. Finally, after days of driving forward inch by inch, we reached the North Col, Just seven feet, 7,000 feet from the summit of the mountain the wind hurtled down in the slopes in a sweeping gale, hard and cold as rock. Mallory had camped here, just days from his death. Night closed in. The lack of oxygen had numbed the mind and fired the temper. Our civility was suffocated. We were savages, nothing more. We sat around an alcohol flame, the four of us, breathing hard, staring at each other's bearded faces, while outside, the wind beat at the tent flaps. I have oxygen. You've had oxygen. plenty.
3: Can't breathe.
2: You can breathe. Just take it easy. Any more oxygen, your body will stop regulating to the altitude. Then you won't be able to do without the stuff.
3: My heart's going like a trip, Hammer.
2: It'll get worse. i got to have
3: some, I tell you.
2: Sit down. Now stay away from that tank. I can't breathe. Hamilton, I can't breathe. I said stay away. Uh! All right, come on, now get up. Please. Sit up and behave yourself. I'm the leader of this expedition and you'll do as you're told.
4: Here, Langmuir, give me a hand.
2: (laughs) No, let him lie there, Chaloner. He'll be all right in the morning. In the morning, Revere and Challoner set out to establish Camp 5 at 24,000. Langmuir and I watched them go, chopping their way up the ridge to the northeast shoulder. When we lay down, waiting, trying to conserve our strength, Langmuir stared upward, his lips moving in prayer, deep sunk eyes, chest heaving. The next day, we set out, following Challoner's marks. Here. Body belayed. Right. Easy now. Huh?
3: I can't. I can't.
2: A hundred feet, Langdor, then we can rest. Now, come on. No. Uh. Take a little more oxygen, then. Uh. There. you feel better? More. More. No more. Now, come on. Caught a shell to the camp. Caught a shell? He stood on my shoulders, and I boosted him to the narrow ledge. He grasped for the edge, his fingers clawing at the smooth rock. I felt his foot slip from my shoulder. I grabbed for his leg and missed. Black space sank below us, and he fell.
4: Emotion!
3: Escape, under the direction of Norman McDonald, returns in just a moment. CBS wishes to call your attention to the debut of three programs today Bill Goodwin's entertaining Dollar a Minute, a new 15 minute news program featuring Eric Severide, chief of CBS Washington Bureau, and Charlie Wilde, private detective, which is moved to CBS from another network. And now, back to Escape.
2: As Langmuir fell, I braced myself against rock, waiting for the rope around my waist to pull taut. And when it jerked, it burned into my flesh and tore me into space. I scrambled under the double weight, lunging desperately for a hold. I threw my arm around a snub of rock just at the edge and started to pull up. Slowly, I reached the ledge, gasping for air. I looked down. Langmuir was swinging at rope's end, and I small arc above the yawning emptiness, just a hundred feet below me. The wind tore at my face. My arms were aching. I felt them slipping from the rock, and then I saw Langmuir grab a handhold and start to climb. And the rope loosened, and I relaxed. He was all right. I sniffed at my oxygen, but it made me drunk. Three hours, I told myself. Three hours to
4: Chaloner. Hamilton. Hamilton, you... you all right? Uh, It's Chaloner. Are are you all right? uh, Yes. Yes,
2: I'm all right. How how did I get here? Langmuir brought you in. Uh, I
4: must have passed off. Yes, you certainly did. Where's Revere. A rock fall. He must have been killed instantly. Three of us.
2: Three of us left. We haven't even established
4: Camp 6. Look, Hamilton. I'm not a young man anymore. I'm I'm 38. That's fine for selling shoes in a department store. Not quite up to this kind of thing. I just about reached my limit, Hamilton. You. You and Langmuir. You two will have to climb alone from here on up. I think we can do it. I'll stay here at Camp 5. All right, Chaloner.
2: I hope I get a good sleep. Because tomorrow I've got a date with the mountain. Ah, it's quiet outside. It's a wonderful day. It's the best we've had yet.
3: What do you think of cutting the north face across the couloir, making the final ascent directly up the western part of the north side? No,
2: no, we'll take Norton's route as we planned. What about Camp 6? Well, if we can establish it at 27,000, the final dash will be short. That'll double our chances. Well, Langmuir, what do you say?
3: You want to go on? Look. Look up there. What? The mist is beginning to clear. There it is, Hamilton, the summit, the top of the world.
2: We started up again, up toward the summit. Our altitude was 25,000. We planned to camp at 27, leaving only 2,000 feet for the final spurt. We hung desperately to the sheer face of the mountain, the freezing wind whipping up from the great couloir tearing at our grasp. All the next day we inched upward, our hearts pounding. By nightfall we had only reached 26,000. We had to camp or die. I found a a small recess. We pitched our tent over it, fastening the stage with pitons. We huddled together in the cold darkness. Langmuir was exhausted. Uh I heard him gasping, the weak air. My arms and legs were swollen with pain, my lungs bursting. The top seemed miles away. Every ache in my body urged me down, down to the firm, warm earth. But the peak, only 3,000 feet,
3: the white plume peak. 26,000. Only 26,000. We'll never make it, Hamilton.
2: You can see it in the daylight, the peak, Langmuir. We'll
3: go like... like Mallory went up there. Suffocation. We'll make it. Suffocation.
2: No air. Nothing to breathe. Stop it, Langmuir. We've got to go. Go back. We're not going back. We're going for the top. We've got to go back. 3,000 feet, that's all. 3,000 feet and we're there. Mallory...
3: He couldn't breathe. He's here somewhere. Dead. Frozen dead. We'll make it. Tomorrow morning we're going back.
2: Langmuir, we've climbed tougher ones than this in the Rockies. The slopes aren't hard. From here on it's simple. We'll make it, Langmuir. We've got to go back. We're not going back. You understand? We're going to make it. Hamilton! Listen! Listen to me. If you try to turn back... I'll kill you. The mountain wasn't ice and rock to us anymore. It was a human force, an arrogant, wild challenge. Defiant, fighting conquest with choking cold and the constant earth pull downward. Death didn't matter. My life a Langmuir. There was the top and we were going to reach it. In the morning, we started up again. We moved like automatons, not daring to think or feel. Moved up by instinct. Then it happened. Langmuir slipped again, and I plunged my pickaxe into a crack and waited for a sharp tug on the waist rope. It came. I pressed myself against the rock, waiting for the slack that told me that he'd regained his foothold. And suddenly, above the high wind, I heard a massive rumble. I felt the earth shaking itself to pieces. Avalanche! Thank you. I'm going to beat you, Everest. I'm going to the top. I'm going to the top. There was no time. There was no space. There was only the mountain and me. I climbed. I kept climbing. The sky darkened, the wind rose, the air was like a blade in my throat, but I kept going. And when it was too dark to climb, I dug myself into a hollow place. And I lay there, thinking of home, of the sanity of the open fire, of the comfort I'd left behind. Night on Everest. (laughs) Night on Everest and the... Terrible wind. Morning broke milder and clear. I left the hollow and looked upward through the glare of the sun. The slopes were more gentle, the holes easier. It was as if Everest had suddenly relaxed its guard, for there just above me lay the few yards of level terrain which formed my goal. I started again, moving upward, senseless to pain. Hours later, the ground leveled and I stopped crawling. I lifted my head. And around me in every direction, clouds and peaks. Below me, the black outline of the earth. I'd made it. I was the first man ever to reach the peak of Mount Everest. I forced myself to my feet, weaving dizzily. All the pain, all the intense agony of the altitude and the climb was forgotten now. I looked down at the magnificent peaks of the surrounding Himalayas. I couldn't believe that I'd done the impossible. There was a small camera in my knapsack. I took pictures of every horizon. I walked around the summit. My summit, drunk with the knowledge of what I'd done. And then suddenly I stopped, for there, wedged into a crack of rock, something bright and gold shone up at me. I bent down and pulled it out. It was a cigarette case, it bore the initials GLM, George Lee Mallory. I stood there trembling, the cigarette case in my hand. An instant before, I'd experienced the elation of the greatest possible triumph. And now there was only defeat. Defeat and the indescribable hate for a dead man. Oh, how he must have smiled as he went to his death, knowing that the second man to reach the top would find his proof. The second man to reach the top. I was only the second man. And then it came to me. Why must anyone know? Why must I tell the world what I'd found? Mallory was gone. He wouldn't hear the applause. It would be me, Chase Hamilton, the man who had conquered Everest. I took a small plate of metal from my wallet and wedged it into the rock. It read, Hamilton Everest Expedition 1925. Then I strapped on my sack. I looked below me. It would be a difficult descent. But there was only one direction to go now. Down.
4: at about 1,000 feet from the peak. Is that right, Mr. Hamilton?
2: Yes, that's right. Challoner found me. He brought me back to Camp 6. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, uh, camp... Uh, how come Langmuir didn't go to the top with you? He died, gentlemen. The rope broke and he fell. Langmuir deserved a lot of credit, though. Without him, I never could have gotten near the summit. Well,
4: how does it feel, Mr. Hamilton? How does it feel to be acclaimed as the first man to climb the highest mountain in the world?
2: Well, gentlemen... I feel as if. As if if you could just give our papers a statement of some kind of. uh, How does it feel to be the very first?
3: Yes, that's what we want to hear, sir.
2: You don't climb a mountain just for fame and glory, gentlemen. You climb it for something more personal than that. And you can't lie to yourself. I'm afraid I don't understand. You. We're the first. No, gentlemen, not quite the first. George Lee Mallory reached the top last year. I found his cigarette case wedged in a rock on the summit. This cigarette case. Smoke, gentlemen.
3: Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you Conquest by Leonard Lee, especially adapted for Escape by David Ellis. Bill Conrad was starred as Hamilton. Featured in the cast were Larry Dobkin, Ramsey Hill, Lou Krugman, Jack Crucian, Larry Thor, and Ben Wright. The special music for Escape was composed and conducted by Del Castillo.
4: Next week, escape with us to Western Europe and the story of a futile attempt to save a beautiful girl from the clutches of the most
3: cold-blooded political organization on Earth as Anthony Ellis tells it in his
4: exciting story, A Bullet for Mr. Smith.
3: Next Tuesday evening, CBS has a big treat in store for all of you. Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, Amos and Andy, Bob Hope, Mary Martin, Judy Garland, and a raft of other stars will be on hand to salute Bing Crosby, who is celebrating his 20th year in show business. Be sure and join them on Tuesday. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Um, a question for you, Keith. Um, yep. They mentioned Anthony Anthony Ellis in this um, broadcast at the end, and there's also on my sheet here a note that says this was adapted for Escape by David Ellis. Are they related? Yeah.
1: No, they're not related. And in fact, um, Anthony Ellis didn't have anything to do with this show. This no, episode, he's, he's mentioned
0: but, at the end of something for next week.
1: Oh, oh yes, an upcoming one. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but David Ellis was, uh, I guess he was a radio actor who ended up finally retiring from that field because uh, writing was his real love but uh, he'd only recently appeared on escape in the lead role david ellis uh, a revival of a shipment of mute fate that's right and um, yeah he was uh, he ended up uh, doing a lot more writing than acting but uh, he he was a good actor himself david ellis uh, especially if he played a villain but uh, that was what I find most interesting about conquest is is the fact that the original short story he adapted it from was written in nineteen thirty five, uh, and uh, it uh, just was so um, topical because uh, by the time it was being it was broadcast, uh, they were gearing up for what became the um, expedition with Edmund Hillary conquering Everest uh, two years later because it took so many uh so many months to uh, gear up for a thing like that that it was already you know appearing in the news. So um yeah. Well, kind the, of topical uh, the, some the of these best, shows the best
0: science fiction becomes reality.
1: Yep, that's true in many ways. Yeah. God, even even the Jetsons, you know, some of the things in that, you know, <laughs> large screen TVs up on the wall and things.
0: <laughs> yeah, Ray Bradbury was very good at uh, writing things that came true decades later.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, so many of those uh, guys in Dimension X and uh, all of those shows uh, had that sense of what might come.
0: Well, anything else about this one?
1: Not really. No, I think that that covers it pretty uh, pretty well. Just that uh, again a, another great performance by William Conrad in a totally different he kind of plays, you know, his soft voice in that in that poison show where he was he was sitting in the bed and he kept talking like this all the time, you know. And he puts on that, that alpha male voice for Conquest, which he often used for uh, very macho sort of guys. You know, I have an appointment with a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like his Rocky and Bullwinkle narrator voice.
0: Well, all right. Um, that was uh, episode number nine. We have one more for next week. And Keith will be back with us for that final episode. And we'll probably have some more escape down the line over the next course of the year or whatever, but, uh, for now I was
1: thinking when I was gathering all of these, that, uh, when you said 10 and I was going through them all, I thought really there, you could do three lots of escape in in 10 batches of 10.
0: Well, maybe we'll do another batch of 10 sometime next year or later this year, depending on what year we're talking about here. Okay. (laughs) Well, anyway, back next week with one last one for now, And um, you heard Conquest from January 7th, 1951. And you heard our special guest, Mr. Keith Scott, give you all these little trivial details about these actors and and things to do with the show, which are so fascinating. And um, if we don't get those documented somewhere, they get lost in the ether and we'll never know. But here they are now on the good old days radio show. Uh, podcast and once you put something on the internet it never goes away so
1: that's true we're
0: we're making history and creating history and reporting history all at the same time here wow okay well thanks thanks keith for being on with us and we'll see see you
1: next week see you guys later and look forward to it all
0: right thank you so much This is John Tifteller and the Good Old Days Radio Show. Check out our Tuesday comedy shows or whatever we're doing on Tuesday. Usually it's comedy. And back next Thursday with the last tribute to Escape for now.